Hello to my fellow humans with true crime obsessions. Welcome back to Crime Obsessed Dog Mom. I am Michelle, the Crime Obsessed Dog Mom, with my co-host currently on the couch in timeout because he was a bad boy, the baby dog known as Rory. Today we are going to look at the murder of Elizabeth Kay or Betsy Ferrara. You better be all strapped in for this one today. It's a little crazy. Um, but yes, I just want to mention that my baby dog was a bad boy. He was just outside. And he gets totally fine with our neighbor, like if you're looking in the backyard, to the left. And it's taken some time for him to get to the point where he's a good boy. But he's doing better. There's no not the snarling. It's just a fence thing, I really think. Um, but our other neighbors recently got a puppy who is now a bigger dog. Um, and they normally keep him on a leash. And we normally just let Rory free roam around the, the backyard and everything. And this, they just hate each other. And they are snarling. And he was off the leash. The other dog was today. And so it was just a freaking mess. Um, so I was out there and uh, my husband came in. He was like, did you hear that? And then Rory was immediately on the couch, like ears down, submissive pose and I was like so like you know you did something wrong <laughs> just annoying <laughs> but uh life update you know we're twins are still doing good we are almost uh we will be six months this month this week which is crazy uh starting to plan things getting things which is scary um doing things that's are scary it's good but like scary obviously uh, I went to my first prenatal yoda Yoda. Oh my gosh. Thinking about the Mandalorian, apparently. <laughs> Prenatal yoga yesterday. And it was really nice to just be around other women that are also pregnant, that a lot of them have had pregnancies before. Very zen experience. And it was just nice to be able to kind of be in like a safe space and being able to talk about the miscarriage and how it kind of impacted us and how I'm in a better space now to talk about it. Um, and uh, you know how we feel very blessed that we are in the current situation that we are with our twins. Um, but we finally got all of the anatomy situation done since took three scans, which was annoying. And it's funny this week I have a dentist appointment and I remember being at the dentist in October and I had to share with them that I had had a miscarriage because if you don't know, pregnancy can really like impact your teeth and it essentially like your body is going to do everything it can to keep the babies alive. So it will take things from you. Um, so they can like suck the calcium out of your teeth, essentially. And your teeth can, you know, go bad pretty quickly. Um, and I remember telling them after the miscarriage, because I did have some, my body did respond as if I had um, given birth. So uh, I lost some hair, which was, from what I've read, is normal just because of hormone changes. And I didn't know if it had impacted my teeth. And so when I talked to them in October, you know, I just told them what happened. And they're like, yeah, you know, the next time you get pregnant, we'll make sure to check in with you early, you know, early. And we can um, 
make sure that everything's good. And I joked at that point, it was the end of October. I was like, imagine like, ha ha April, you know, <laughs> um, maybe I'll be six, six months pregnant next time I see you. And, um, I will literally be six months pregnant <laughs> the day of the, the exam. So, um, I'm excited to like see them and tell them about it. It's cool. Um, but regardless, it's just funny, just like coincidence. And, and I, even yesterday at yoga, I was like telling them that like universe works in a weird way for my due date to be the same date that we found out about the miscarriage. And, um, it's just, it's been, it's been wild. We've, you know, starting to plan the baby shower and, you know, getting ready for my maternity leave because we're in April now and June's not that far away. And we know that that's when they're going to be here. And I had some friends that I went and visited this week and they're like, oh, well, you have the nursery ready? I was like, the what? I don't got nothing ready. I literally have nothing ready. I barely have diapers. I have so many clothes, but I don't have anything. Um, so that kind of like stressed me out a little bit, but we're taking it slow. We know that really when they're born, you just need to be able to feed them and change them and keep them clean. Um, they don't need beds right away, right? They, they will have a bassinet and anything I need, I technically can get in two days shipping, or I can send someone to the store and get it for me. So just, it's kind of a longer life update than what I thought. But today, this case is going to be like a weird timeline. We're going to talk about the original, the murder of Betsy, but then it kind of, the person that murdered her is also connected to like a couple of other deaths and the timeline kind of gets a little fuzzy. So I'm going to do my best to keep it straight, but this is going to be a really long one. So strap in um, and let's go. So her, she was named Elizabeth K. Uh, Meyer, um, but she went by Betsy. She was born March 24th in 1969 in Richmond Heights in St. Louis County in Missouri. Um, from one of everything I've read, she was a very bubbly, nice person. She loved to make people laugh and she loved, you know, she could love to bust a move. Uh, her future husband, whose name is Russ, he was actually raised in the suburbs of St. Louis. He was in a big family, had the big Italian family. Um, his mom was Italian. His dad was Portuguese. Um, and they had, he had served, his father had served in the military before they ended up in Missouri, um, to be, you know, they ended up with his, where his mom was. Um, they actually met Russ and Betsy actually ended up meeting in 1998 at a gas station that Betsy had been working, uh, for, uh, nearby it's called O'Fallon, Missouri. So Russ had told Oxygen later on, um, the gas station was probably the closest convenience store to where he, I lived. So I was there quite a bit. We started chatting and hit it off. And one thing led to another and they ended up uh, dating and getting married. They married in 2000 in Troy, Missouri. And, uh, with Betsy, uh, Betsy's two daughters, Leah and Mariah, who she had from a previous relationship. Fast forward 10 years and, their relationship, Russ, had been kind of on and off. There had been moments, I, think, I feel like in all marriages, that things just kind of go sideways. But in 2010, um, unfortunately, uh, Betsy was diagnosed with breast cancer. She went and underwent a mastectomy uh, that same year. 
Um, unfortunately, though, you know, after cancer, they always check you and everything. Uh, a year later, uh, she, it actually had um, went to her liver um, and it was terminal. And from what I read, she was only given like three to five years to live. So after her diagnosis, after everything had kind of happened, a lady came back into her life by the name of Pam Hupp. Uh, weird. They, they were friends. Uh, they had met originally uh, at State Farm, which is an insurance company here. And they had been kind of close. But, uh, Pam is a little bit older, but um, she was just kind of came out of nowhere after this diagnosis. She was helping drive Betsy to chemo. Um, and then she kind of ended up really they started rekindling their relationship um, and Pam really became a trusted confidant and uh, really just kind of like somebody that Betsy could talk to. And Betsy was really worried, you know, with her terminal diagnosis that the money that she would have from a life insurance policy would not like be financially taken care of very well. Um, and her, uh, Betsy's father, Ken had actually told St. Louis magazine that she, that she had been worrying about her two teenage daughters spending, um, the inheritance money that they would get foolishly. And that she was also worried that Ross, her husband would piss it away. So let's talk a little bit more about Pam. Pam was born in Delwood, Missouri in 1958. Uh, she was in a very strict Catholic family. Um, she was one of four children and she was apparently boy crazy, uh, that cheerleader, big personality, a very big laugh, according to the St. Louis magazine. By the end of her senior year, she, uh, was pregnant and then married. Um, and that was kind of took a turn in her life. Um, so she kind of, it made her resentful of those who ended up going to college because she didn't have that opportunity. So she ended up getting divorced like six years later, um, and she ended up meeting somebody named Mark Hupp, um, who would be her future husband. He was a minor league baseball player that had turned into a carpenter. Um, they, she had taken a short little stint to lived in Florida, but she did end up moving back to Missouri in 2001 and was at State Farm in a clerical job. Um, she was also like flipping houses on the side. So once again, she worked at State Farm and one of Pam's former managers told St. Louis Magazine in 2017, so this is way after everything had happened, um, he described her as a positive person, very level-headed, and that he had never seen her mad, uh, that she saw the bigger picture and she was a very inept uh, at office politics. But he did say that there were some like weird things that happened while she was with the company she said that she, he said, quote, she always told me she was involved somewhere like the FBI, something with security clearance, kind of, of in the past, but maybe still, he said. It was like she was just letting it dribble out. And then it was like, oh, I can't say anything. So just kind of one of those, like, oh, I have this really cool thing, but I'm really not, you know, involved. <laughs> and he also said that there was an incident with a customer saying that they, they had received a sign letter from him with information that only he, um, Hupp, and one other employee were privy to. The manager claimed that he never sent a note, um, which was would have, was written on his uh, official stationery. So it was weird. They, they didn't know where 
this customer had gotten this note. Um, so it was very unclear. And Pam, in the his, in her history, had actually been fired twice for forging signatures. Um, obviously, something she didn't disclose when she applied to work for State Farm. So it's, they didn't accuse her, but I wouldn't say, I wouldn't put it past her. So let's go back to 2011. Um, the night of the murder, of Betsy's murder, her husband, Russ, had originally planned to pick his wife up um, from her mother's house uh, following his like game night at his friend's house. Mike, Michael Corbin's house. That's his friend. They had spent the evening there watching, you know, playing games, watching movies, everything until about nine, and then drove to Arby's in Lake St. Louis and then ended up at home. So he was supposed to pick up um, his wife, Betsy, but uh, actually, Betsy had actually texted him, let him know, hey, Pam is going to let me, is going to take me home instead after her chemo. She dropped off Betsy at about seven. Um, and they actually ended up calling Pam's husband, Mark, to check in. And um, she excitedly said something on a voicemail, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's. It's just like December of 2011. And about so that's about 7 o'clock at approximately 7.21. A call from Betsy, uh, a call to Betsy from one of her daughters went unanswered. So something happened in those 21 minutes. About two and a half hours later, about 9.40. So remember, Russ had left his friend's house about 9, went and got some Arby's, came home. So he's home about 9.40. He ends up calling 911, saying that he had found his wife um, and that she had killed herself. Uh, Betsy had been stabbed over 55 times with her wrists cut to the bone and a serrated kitchen knife left lodged in her neck. A second knife was found under a pillow on the couch that she was lying on. First responders were there within 10 minutes and concluded that she had been dead for at least an hour or longer. Her time of death was later reported to be between 7.20 and 9.41. So remember, her daughter, one of her daughters, called her at 7.21 and did not pick up. She did not pick up. It, she very well could have already been gone. Naturally, as we know, in a lot of cases, they always suspect the husband or the spouse. So Russ was actually arrested the next day after the death. He, um, the fact that he, it's very weird that he said he, she killed himself, herself. It's a very weird thing to assume. You, you normally would say she's dead or something like that. Not necessarily that she killed herself in that situation, but he might've seen her wrists and might've just assumed that. Well, this assertion was considered very ludicrous by first responders who saw her body, right? They saw her and it was very clear that it was more than just she had killed herself. And he figured she had killed herself in the grief of right being diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, they police ended up doing a search of the house and they found a bloodstained pair of slippers in his closet. Um, he was, a, had a very agitated emotional state and was considered very suspicious by the police and ended up failing a polygraph. Um, Pam did get interviewed by the police 
And she claimed, of course, that Russ was very violent, had a violent temper. He was a heavy drinker. Um, and he actually had threatened Betsy, who was considering leaving him at the time. Remember, their relationship was a little on and off. Um, Pam kind of pushed them a little bit to search. And they've ended up finding on Betsy's laptop um, a document that where she kind of expressed some fears that her husband would kill her. But it was kind of later revealed that this was actually written on Word 1997 or Words 97. And that doc, that, that program wasn't even installed on that laptop. It was the only document on the laptop and it was from an unknown author. So very weird. January 4th, 2012. So this is about a week, two weeks after the uh, death. And it was actually the day after Betsy's funeral. Russ was charged with first degree murder and armed criminal action. He couldn't make the $250,000 bail and he was held in county jail until the beginning of his trial in November of 2013. So during his trial, his defense attorney, uh, Joel Schwartz, argue, argued that obviously he was with friends. Um, they uh, all had testimonies of the friends that he had visited. They found cell phone records that he was at his friend's house 20 miles away from the murder scene. And they had evidence that he had made purchases um, over the course of of the evening that demonstrated the timeline that did not allow him to really commit the murder. Like he was places everywhere, but the house during the time of the murder, there was no traces of blood or on his body or his clothes. Right. And 55 stabs. That's a lot of stabs. There's going to be some flyback. There's going to be some kind of blood drops, something like that. And, um, the prosecuting attorney, Leah Ashkey, um, countered that his friends were all providing a false alibi. They all knew about it and they all, they were conspiring against him. And that meant, you know, they were holding his cell phone. They uh, posed as him to buy food at Arby's to falsify his whereabouts. Essentially there was this large role play, which is just out of control. The judge at the time, Christina Menemeyer refused to allow Joel Schwartz, Russell's or Russ's, attorney to prevent, uh, present any evidence that maybe implicated Pam as a suspect in the, because she's the last person that was seen with her. Um, some of this evidence didn't include that, uh, some cell phone records that show, uh, showed that she was in the vicinity of their house for up to 30 minutes after the time she claimed, which was at about seven, that she had dropped off Betsy's, uh, Betsy after her chemo and, Funny enough that another thing, and we'll get into a little bit more evidencey things that show Pam as pretty guilty, was that Betsy had actually made Pam the sole beneficiary of her life insurance policy like two days before her death. If that ain't sus, I don't know what is. So during the trial, um, one of the detectives, Mike Merkel, uh, um, of the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office, did report that a crime scene camera had broken and the f f uh, photos had actually failed to develop because, of course, right. She, uh, Joel Schwartz Russell's 
uh, Russ is, I say Russell, his name's Gerald Russell, but he goes by Russ. Russ's attorney did end up finding and getting some copies of those uh, photographs in person. And um, there was actually a secret hearing during the trial. And she said, Pam said that she actually put 100000 of that insurance money in a trust for Betsy's daughters, right? Because if you think back, Betsy was worried about the money and everything after she passed. So she, quote unquote, made Pam the beneficiary. And so Pam would help take care of her kids. But come to find out in a deposition several years later, she actually didn't do any of that. So where did that money go? There was another red flag in early 2013 uh, during the case that Joel had spoke with Pam and she joked that her husband's life insurance insurance policy was much bigger than Betsy's. I mean, and she quote, she said, I mean, I guess if I wanted a lot of money, I could kill him instead of her, she said, which this is Russ's lawyer. It's a very weird thing to say. You know, he was like, what, what are you, what are you talking about? Then especially at that point, no one had accused her of killing her friend. He wasn't allowed to talk about any of this, any possible motives in Betsy's murder, murder because of the prosecution had essentially successfully argued that, that there was no a direct connection to the case. November 21st, 2013, Russ was convicted on both counts. A month later, he was sentenced to life plus 30 years of imprisonment without the possibility of parole, and he was sent to Jefferson City Corrections Center. This was a welcome sentence by Betsy's family. In an interview given following the sentence, her sister Julie made claims unheard during the trial that Russ had been angered by the removal of his name from a separate insurance policy that he had won on one occasion, one occasion held a pillow on Betsy's face and said, this is what it feels like to die. In response to these, Joel Schwartz, Russell's, Russ's lawyer noted that this was actually originally this pillow story was originally told by no else. Who else? Right. Pam. So they did end up doing an initial motion for a new trial, but it was rejected by Christina Menemeyer in December of 2013. So a year after in January of 2014, KTVI partnered with the St. Louis post dispatch newspaper. They reviewed the case. The next month, the Post-Dispatch reported that Pam had kept that $150,000, as we initially thought, and they did not put it in that, that trust at all. And she had contradicted herself a lot during police interviews, such as she claiming she had never actually entered the house after driving Betsy home, but then she came and revised that a couple of different times. The 911 operator who had taken Russell's call had believed that he was actually genuinely shocked and upset. And the article that the St. Louis Post-Dispatch also put out alleged that the the prosecutor had been in a relationship with Mike Lang, the then captain of the investigations for the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office, and was one of the investigating officers um, in the FARA uh, murder case, as well as a prosecution witness, two members of the jury in Russell Russ's trials actually told the media that this information was withheld. I do apologize. 
the bad boys off the couch and drinking some water. Give him the cold, the, the cold eye stare down. So Swartz, Russ's lawyer obviously appealed the, the conviction in February of 2015, the Missouri court of appeals sent the case back to the 45th circuit court for a hearing for a retrial. Um, the Christina Metemeyer, who was the, the original, uh, what's the name? Judge. Wow. Could not think. Pregnancy brain. Recused her herself from the case. Um, and they ended up getting a new judge named Judge Stephen Omer. They did grant a motion for a new bench trial based on the evidence that had emerged uh, with Russ released on ben, uh, bond pending the trial. During the retrial, Schwartz, Russ, Russ's lawyer, was allowed to introduce evidence implicating Pam as the perpetrator. CSI agent Amy Butner, who had examined the crime scene, testified that she believed that the slippers found in Russ's closet had not gotten bloodied by stepping in blood. Neither side, unfortunately at this time, had called Pam to testify. And it was actually weird, this weird turn. She, at some point during the retrial, a detective, um, she had told the detective that her and Betsy were lovers and that Russ had found out and about their affair and then killed his wife. So just like another rando thing to say. Very weird. Another thing came out saying that Pam said that she told police that she had remembered, quote unquote, seeing Russ and another man in a car parked on the street outside of their house uh, when she drove as she was driving Betsy home. After the whole retrial and everything, uh, November 7th, 2015, Russ's conviction was overturned and he had been released from prison after serving almost four years. So let's fast forward a few years now into 2019. This is where things are going to get a little messy and I did my very best to try to get things together. So in 2019, Pam entered an Alford plea to the 2016 murder of Louis Gumpenberger. If you don't know what an Alford plea is, it's also known as a Kennedy plea uh, or an Alford guilty plea or an Alfred Doctrine. It's essentially a guilty plea in criminal court where a defendant in a criminal case does not admit to the criminal act and uh, inserts innocence, but admits that the evidence presented by the prosecution would likely persuade a judge or jury to find the defendant guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. This can be caused by circumstantial evidence and testimony favoring the prosecution and difficulty finding evidence and witnesses that would aid in the defense. So essentially she knew or her lawyer knew that there was too much evidence against her. So she entered this plea. So who is Lewis? Lewis Royce Gumpenberger was a resident of Union, Missouri. He had mental and physical disabilities after a car crash that he was in in 2005 on August 16th, 2019, Lewis died after Pam shot him five times in the hallway of her home. They found about $900 on his body and a note bearing the instructions to quote unquote, kidnap Pam 
get Russell Russ's money from Pam at her bank and then kill Pam and to quote unquote take Pam back to the house and get rid of her make it look like Russ's right wife make sure the knife is sticking out of her neck and in a reward uh, for $10,000 as re- Pam ended up placing two calls to 911 shortly um, before the shooting to report a burglary in progress and the audio of the incident incident was recorded. So immediately after the shooting, uh, Pam voluntarily went to O'Fallon Police Department. Her first words in the recorded interview were, is this going to be filmed? Because I always appear on the news with KTVI reporter Chris Hayes. She went on to blame Hayes reporting for attracting threatening people. So this, she was accusing that Lewis was like a threatening person. Pam claimed that Lewis was armed with a knife, had jumped out of a car that was driven by another person in her driveway, accosted her while she sat in her SUV in her car and demanded that she drive to the bank to get Russ's money. Pam claimed that she had knocked the knife out of his hand with a cha-cha, karate chop, then fled into her house. She ended up shooting Lewis in self-defense with a Ruger LCR she kept on a nightstand after he persuaded her, pursued her. The St. Charles County prosecuting attorney and the O'Fallon chief of police theorized that Pam had actually lured Lewis to her home. Um, he presented himself as a producer for a television show uh, for Dateline NBC and offered to pay him to reenact a 911 call, then shot him in order to implicate Russ in an attempt to take her life and essentially take the heat off of her, uh, planting the knife, the note, and the money on his body. They, she, they believe it was very random and that he, that Lewis was selected but several, there were several pieces of evidence that were identified. There were cell phone records showing that Pam had been in Lewis's neighborhood right at the supposed attacker's front door less than one hour before the shooting, casting doubt that she had never met him before. On August 10th, 2016, a police report had been filed with the St. County or St. Charles County police stating that a woman naming matching Pam's description had approached O'Fallon resident Carol Alford, also known as Carol uh, McPhee, posing as an NBC producer and offered her a thousand dollars to reenact a 911 call. Security footage shows that the woman in question had been driving Pam's car. A second witness informed that Pam had approached him with a similar proposition. proposition. So she had been going around trying to kind of lure people, lure people to her house. They also found nine $100 bills in, yeah, nine $100 bills in Lewis's pocket. A tenth found on her Pam's dresser. And they actually had like the same, like in the same sequence of serial numbers to four of the nine bills. So that's sus. Like she took a thousand dollars out and kept a hundred for herself. Investigators also suggested that the knife had been purchased um, that Lewis had at the Dollar Tree in O'Fallon alongside other items found in Pam's house. The paper on which the note found on his body had also been written, um, but also had, that paper had also been 
purchased by Pam. The knife found in Pam's car, remember there was a car, she was, he was supposedly in the car with her, was found wedged between the passenger seat and the central console. Knives in her kitchen were similarly stored wedged between the stove and the counter. A carpet swatch found by the police appeared to have the position position to protect a rug in her house from the blood. So she like put a rug in a certain position so that she wouldn't get blood on the carpet. That makes sense. And police investigators were very skeptical that Lewis would have been able to take care of, carry out what was being asked of him. Because remember, he has mental and physical disabilities. So she, she, oh my gosh, she was a predator and went after this man. And it was horrible. So all of this evidence, August 2016, she was arrested and charged with first degree murder and armed criminal action. Um, upon being arrested, she actually asked to use the restroom where she stabbed herself in the neck and in the wrists with a ballpoint pen in what is an apparent suicide attempt. St. Charles County Assistant Prosecutor Phil Gwenaway described the act as a consciousness of guilt. They set the bail for her for this at $2 million, and they ended up uh, indicting her in December of that year. She appeared in court in January of 2017, pled not guilty. In March of 2017, they were uh, stated that they would seek the death penalty due to the apparent uh, arbitrary arbitrary choice of Lewis as the victim. In 2018, the 11th Circuit Court Judge John Cunningham ruled that prosecutors could not present evidence relating to the death of her Pam's mother during the Lewis's Lewis murder case because yes we are now on the third person that has ended up dead around Pam she was the last person seen with her mother Shirley May Newman she was a widow since 2000 and she was living alone in a third floor apartment in Lakeview Park Independence Senior Living in Fenton in Fenton and she was struggling with dementia and arthritis she spent the night of August, October 29th, 2013. So we're going back a little bit just to kind of look at the death of her mother. Apparently Pam had dropped her off at her apartment and instructed a staff to not expect her for dinner that evening or breakfast the following day, which is just sus to say. A housekeeper found Pam's mother dead beneath the balcony at her home at 2.30 p.m. the next day. The aluminum balcony railing was broken. Following a police investigation, assistant medical examiner Raj Nanduri concluded that mother's Pam's mom had died from a blunt trauma to the chest, resulting from an accidental fall. The autopsy also found 0.84 micrograms of a sedative called zolfidim in her blood, uh, which is actually over eight times the expected concentration for someone having that would just have like a normal dose. The next month, the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office, they got an anonymous note suggesting that Pam had actually murdered her mom for the life insurance 
uh, money. Her mom, or Pam and her siblings each received about $120,000 of investments held by the mother, as well as sharing a $10,000 life insurance payout. Earlier that year, the year that her mom died, Pam had been videotaped saying, my mom's worth half a million that I get when she dies. If I really wanted that money, there were an easier there was an easier way than trying to combat somebody that's physically stronger than me. The police reopened this investigation after reviewing, interviewing the housekeeper who had found her mom's body. And when they, they all kind of stated that they thought that her mom was pretty unsteady. Remember, she's just older dealing with dementia and arthritis. And they, once they reopened it, they also kind of, concluded again that it was accidental and they did not interview Pam again at this time. After Pam was charged though with this 2016 murder of Lewis, they did reopen the investigation to her mom again. Michael, who's her brother, uh, really thought that her, his mom's death was accidental. Detective Matthew Levy attempted to get a subpoena to get the location of Pam's cell phone at the time of her mother's death, but was unsuccessful. He also attempted to organize some tests uh, on the balcony railing, but the, the the senior living home kind of refused to provide a railing for testing. A retired homicide detective suggested to KTVI that one of the vertical par- uh, bars on that seemed to have been kicked out after interviewing Pam in connection with his, her mother's death, the KTVI reporter, Chris Hayes, remember she didn't like him, received an anonymous letter saying, Dear sirs, I think it's really getting silly that you keep accusing someone of killing their parent when it's not true. And now going back again. Going further a little bit more, November 2017, a the new Mary, her name's Mary case, the chief medical examiner for St. Louis County, actually changed the manner of Pam's mom's death from accidental to undetermined. She stated that since Newman, that was her remember her last name, death, many things have happened that involved the daughter, and so that all all of that investigation, including the one in Lincoln County and the one in St. Charles, became pertinent information. I was no longer willing to say it was an accident. The investigation on her mom's death has was not reopened. Fast forward again, boom, in 2018, this is where every after everything that happened with Lewis, um, the one, the new, the new ju- judge stated that prosecutors could present evidence uh, relating to the killings of Betsy during Lewis's trial. There's just so many people, so many names. And she, like I said, she was supposed to be in, on trial June 2019, uh, but she did el- enter that Alford plea, um, waiving her right to a jury trial. And But a part of that gre- plea agreement was that she could not face the death penalty. Remember, and they were going for death penalty previously. She was sentenced to life without parole in August 2019 for the death of Lewis. In a phone call with her then-husband, they've been divorced since then, she claimed that she had pled not pled guilty so her family wouldn't have to, to quote-unquote, witness an ugly trial. For the very first time, 
two years after everything in, in after she's been charged with everything july 8th 2021 she was finally interviewed for the first time for the mur for any kind of connection with the murder of betsy four days later she was charged with first degree murder for the death of betsy farah with armed criminal action uh, court documents filed asserted that she had murdered betsy for financial gain that he that the prosecution would be seeking the death penalty due to the heinousness and depravity of the crime the prosecution alleged that she had repeatedly stabbed betsy while she was asleep on her sofa and obviously weak after her chemotherapy then removed her socks and used them to spread blood around the house to try to give the impression of domestic violence before placing them on betsy's feet these court documents and this is going to come back to some of the evidence that we had talked about a little bit earlier the court documents noted the following things that she was a sole beneficiary on the $150,000 life insurance days before the murder and she did not give any of that money to the Betsy's daughters despite the reported wishes that Pam had insisted upon driving Betsy home from her chemo um, despite Betsy already having transportation arranged um, and despite Pam claiming that she had not been familiar with the area that they needed to be in for the chemo they also the documents also stated that the position of betsy's body suggested that she was murdered by someone she trusted and she also texted betsy home at 7:20. yet as cell phone records showed that her cell phone was still in the vicinity of betsy's house at 7:20. i remember her death was predicted between 7:20 and like 9 40. The prosecution also stated that he would be investigating potential prosecutorial, prosecutorial, I'm not good with words, uh, misconduct in the original murder investigation, stating that had been mismanaged from the beginning and driven by confirmation bias against Russ. He suggested that the actions by the investigators and prosecutors concerned would constitute gross negligence or calculated criminal behavior. He suggested also that by the time of Russ's second trial, the Lincoln County prosecutors were acting to protect their own civil liability rather than seeking justice. He also noted that a destruction order had been made in November 2015 at the time of when Russ was acquitted. And thankfully, there would never been action on that would have actually destroyed the physical evidence uh, that had was with the, the, the case. And thankfully, they didn't take action. In response to this announcement, there was an interview that was done that she, that Leah Womack Cheney, who was involved in everything from the beginning, she had denied any misconduct and stated she had never seen the destruction order. Moving forward, um, this was like just last year, in May of 2022, the officers suggested that several law enforcement uh, personnel could could face criminal charges because of what happened during this case so we'll go back to 2021 she entered a non-guilty plea to betsy's murder and on september 8th the armed criminal action charge was dismissed against pam they had a preliminary hearing 
scheduled for February of 2022, but it was delayed indefinitely after Pam's public defender actually died of a heart attack in August 2022. uh, Pam raved her right to a preliminary hearing in October 2022. They moved her trial to the Green Green County, Missouri, um, being transferred to the 31st Judicial uh, Circuit. Um, And that's kind of the last thing I have. So this was six months ago or so. That's the last thing I have, which is crazy. And like I said, it had been kind of delayed indefinitely because of her her public defender dying of a heart attack. And I just feel like she's probably involved. She's involved in everybody's death. That's how I feel. Um, going back to Russ, since his uh, exoneration, he's very passionate about um, advocacy when it comes to wrongfully accused um, and works for the Midwest Innocence Project. Quote, he said, we all see things that we want to change in this world and there's lots of things that need to be changed, he said. But if you see something that needs to be changed and there's something you can do about it and don't, then you're part of the problem. Russ also told Oxygen.com that he plans to take Betsy's ashes ashes with him to all of Pam's court hearings. And I also did read somewhere that I can't remember really right now, but he actually is engaged to one of the the woman that Pam had gone to that tried to lure her out to, to redo the um, the nine one one call. So just like a weird cross of fate kind of situation. But I told you it was gonna be a long one, and I hope it wasn't too confusing. But essentially, Pam is a bad lady, and she did a lot of bad stuff. And it's kind of crazy. Very crazy. I'm very much out of breath right now. So I do apologize. Whew. i not used to doing all this talking. But here we are. Um, well, thank you all for tuning in today. We are going to talk about here in the next couple of weeks, kind of what the future, and I mentioned this at the end of the episode last time, what the future of this, or whereas not the future of this this podcast is going to go. Uh, I started this podcast almost about a year ago, and a lot of really bad things have happened since then. A lot of great things have happened, and I'm really happy with that I've done this. And I, I think it was something that I really needed to do, and I think it helped me a lot after the miscarriage. But with my future, <laughs> my future things going on here, um, you know, I don't know if this is something that I can sustainably do long term anymore with the looming motherhood coming in. And I know it's going to be a lot. Um, I understand that they're not going to be born for a while, but my subscription does end with, um, at the beginning of May and it's quite expensive. Um, and and I don't, and I, and I never expected to make any money or anything from the podcast, but I don't, there's no like income from this that I have. And, it's quite expensive for me to be able to host these on, it's called Podbean. Um, and it's not something that I think I can reasonably stay that I can spend $350 on for another year where realistically, I don't know if I'll record. Um, so it is sad and we'll talk more about it. Um, we'll have an emotional last episode or something like that. Um, so we are kind of coming up on the last few episodes, uh, more than likely of this. It's sad. But, you know, 
my day ones. I appreciate you. Um, if today's your day one or a year ago was your day one, uh, I appreciate you. Um, but we will, I will have episodes. Let me look at my calendar here. Episodes on the 16th and then on the 30th will be our last one because I have to renew on the 3rd or the 2nd of May. But don't be sad. Be happy it happened. I know that's like the cheesiest shit ever to say, but yeah, I think we got one more good solid episode and then we will, we will see what happens and where we, where we go from here. Regardless of everything, as always, I appreciate y'all. Appreciate everything. Thanks for tuning in. Keep it, keep those view not views listens downloads coming in um stay true crime obsessed always today and forever and love on your animals today and forever and i will talk to you all next week one last piece